Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm your host, Jeff Udick. Thank you for finding some time in your busy, and I'm going to guess, overscheduled life right now to tune in this week. We have a great conversation for you today focused on adult learning and why professional development can be so hard to master, especially with teachers. You'll hear me talk about in this episode, but I truly believe providing professional development to teachers is one of the hardest adult learning situations one can be put in. On top of that, very few administrators, coaches, other educators, or even consultants have a lot of experience or training in creating successful learning environments for adults. Let's face it, we went into the teaching profession to teach kids. I know many teachers who won't or aren't willing to speak in front of other adults, especially teachers, but have no problem speaking in front of kids. Why is that? Well, adults are different. We're harder to please, we're more critical of mistakes or faults during our learning time, and if we at all feel as though our time is being wasted, well, you're done before you even had a chance to begin. This is why I believe, and you'll hear in today's episode, that the idea of asynchronous professional learning not only found a foothold during this pandemic, but will continue, I believe, to be a highly impactful approach to teacher training moving forward. You'll hear us talk in today's episode about andragogy, or the science behind how adults learn, which in some ways is different to how children learn, known as pedagogy. Now, there are many overlaps, and we're all still humans, but adults, when it comes to learning, need to have structures that speak to them as adults. Experience is one of those factors we must take into consideration. We talk about taking the experience of the child into consideration, but a seven-year-old's experience do not compare to a 37-year-old's experiences. We as adults have adult experiences, and because of that, we all bring our own experiences to a training. Adults expect you to consider their experiences, which might include 20 years of teaching. A seven-year-old doesn't expect you to consider their experiences, we just know that to be a good teaching practice. Two other principles that I notice adult learners must have is a need to know and a motivation to learn it. Now, as educators, we try to create in our classrooms a feeling of need to know for our kids and help them get excited about learning, aka a motivation to learn. But let's be honest, kids are forced to go to school. No, really, it's the law. And they have a hard time because they are 7, 12, 16 of understanding why they need to know something, especially if it doesn't apply to their life then and now. Adults, on the other hand, when preparing to learn something, are only willing to learn things they feel they really need to know. I need to know about this new grading program. I need to know how to run the copy machine. I need to understand dot, 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 dot. Now, let's not confuse this with I want to learn statements. Sure, we're all learners and we love to learn. I want to learn to play the guitar. I want to learn to make homemade pasta. 
These are personal want statements. In all learners, there's a difference in mindset between I need to learn and I want to learn. And all too often as educators and through our professional development trainings, we feel like we're in a I need to learn mindset. With that mindset comes a whole host of feelings, engagement level, anxiety, and other feelings that even before the training begins puts us in a place of either ready to learn or willing to accept new information or not. Then there is the why do I need to learn this and why am I here mindsets that I hear all too often in trainings. Usually, these come from around communication from within the district or school, where teachers show up to a training that I'm supposed to be running and don't even know why they are there. What's this training about? How does this connect to the work I do with my students? Yeah, try being that teacher of adults for a day. Of course, if we look at the power of asynchronous learning, this idea that we can create pathways one time that are accessible to the learners when they need them, when they want them, and when they are ready for them, we meet the adult learner where they are at. I'll just talk about our asynchronous pathway called Making Assessment Meaningful that we offer at Shifting Schools. It's there for you when you're ready to and want to learn how to make your assessment practice more effective and meaningful for your students, how we make them more ethical, more empowering, and are informative for us at the same time. The videos are all there, the resources are all there, the free templates are all there. If you're feeling overwhelmed right now and don't have the bandwidth for it, that's okay. Maybe it's something you can tackle this summer. Or maybe you have second semester just getting ready to start and you're thinking to yourself, I want to learn and be able to apply this learning and figure this out with my students. If so, you do it now. See, that's the power of the internet, really. It allows us to create content and put it there forever. And you, the learner, get to access it when you are ready. It's the move I keep talking about from a just-in-case model of education to a just-in-time model of education that we all, children and adults alike, find ourselves living in. Of course, there's one other main aspect of learning that must be present for both adults and children to learn, and that is a community. Community is the real reason we want students back face-to-face, full-time, no masks, and being able to sit next to each other again. Community is the reason so many schools, unions, and teachers want and bargain for team time or PLC time in contracts. Learning is more fun, more engaging, more, well, everything really, when you are able to learn, apply, and reflect within a community. In the asynchronous training you can buy at Shifting Schools called Leading the Change, PD's Next Chapter, I go into depth about this change from professional development to professional learning and how the only way that professional learning and asynchronous learning work is that there must be a community element to the learning, a time and a place for educators to come together to share what they learned and how that applies to their situation right here, right now. In today's episode, 
I sit down with Christina Botbill as we unpack all of this even further and talk about resources to support you and your team in making the most of asynchronous professional learning in your school and district. I hope you enjoy this conversation on the power of protocols in PLCs. And with that, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm excited to have uh, a longtime guest. Uh, man, I don't even know how long it's been we've known each other, Christina. Like, we go back NISA days. So we're talking. Yeah, it was 2005. I was still in the classroom 20. Some years ago. 13, 12, 10. Something like that. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, it's been a, a long time. So, yeah. uh, thank you for reaching out. Uh, Christina has uh, subscribes to our newsletter, and in December we put out and said, "Hey, if you've got something you'd like to share, or have some thoughts on things, or have experiences, which every educator does, we'd love to have you on the podcast." So, thanks for answering that, uh, and it's great to be able to to see you face to face over Zoom uh, and catch up a little bit and have a great conversation today about professional learning. Um, some of the work that you've been doing as curriculum coordinator and, and different roles that you've held in education through the years. So, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's have you introduce yourself. Uh, give us your background, your history, and then we'll get into having a great conversation today around professional learning. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Christina Botville, and um, I have spent almost a couple of decades inter- in international schools. Prior to that, public schools in the United States, public and private. Um, I would say I'm I'm a French and English teacher by trade. Um, I came into leadership, middle level leadership in the last 10 years um, in the role of the curriculum director and have found that, you know, obviously so much of that work is learning focused, student learning, but also the, the, importance of professional learning and building the capacity of educators to impact student learning. Um, During my journey as a leader, I've, you know, taken advantage of different opportunities to become, you know, workshop leader, um, an international facilitator, uh, and just really have always loved learning. I feel like that might be a little bit cliche as far as educators go, but um, really, really, I have, I love going to conferences, workshops back when we used to do that face to face. (laughs) And it's, it's just been a really great opportunity um, for my own professional growth, but to also dig deeper into what, what leads to meaningful learning and growth Mm. for other adults and in our context, educators. Awesome. I love that. So let's jump in and talk about that, about this idea of professional learning. It's something we've covered a lot on the podcast Mm -hmm. is we're making this kind of this switch from like professional development models where it's, you know, truly becoming the, the district or the school's responsibility to give me the teacher every, you know, all of the professional development that I might need to better myself. And what we've seen, especially, I think the pandemic has really helped to kind of shine a light on this, this idea of professional learning, where I need to be starting to take responsibility for that as well, whether that's, you know, online courses or going to events when we can go to events again in person, um, or like listening to a podcast. Like there's so many different ways that we can do 
this idea of professional learning where I am taking ownership in my own growth. Can you kind of talk about some of your experiences before, during the pandemic and the roles that you played? Mm -hmm. What are you seeing from an individual uh, educator standpoint? And then also from a school leader standpoint, what, what are some things school leaders might need to consider? Yeah. Wow. There's, there's so much to say um, on all of what you've, you've brought up there because, you know, I think, I mean, why I first met you and, and came into contact with the work you were doing is because I took initiative to kind of craft my own learning pathway. Mm. Um, Maybe I'm, don't know that I was necessarily aware of it at the time, but, you know, topics, you know, learning how to use Moodle, um, yeah. learning about coaching, learning about integrating technology into teaching practices. Those were just, it, it was really interesting to me to learn and grow and find new ways of reaching students and impacting learning. And so, you know, it, it never ceased to amaze me and it still doesn't. There are so many free opportunities. This podcast, for example, multitude of other podcasts. um, And so really kind of deciding what it is that you want to know more about, um, you know, it, it really is our responsibility. We want our learners in our classrooms our colleagues as learners to grow, develop, try new things. We have to be out there on the front lines modeling that. Uh, So, you know, it's easy to, like, if you need a master's degree, if you want a graduate degree, a certificate, that's kind of helpful in a way because you you don't have to plan that path all the time. It's kind of mm. laid out for you. Yeah. So when you kind of get to the point, and I, I think that's actually what brought me to a lot of the workshops and the certificate work that I've done with you in the past is I already had my master's degree. At right. that point in my life, I a, a doctoral degree was not even on my um, not even on my radar. And and so the only the other options were. I, I needed to take ownership of that. Um, and I think, you know, as, as adults, our, we, we really get set in our ways. And yeah. it's, it's really easy to become rootinous, to do the to do kind of the same thing that we've always done because, you know, sometimes what we're doing over and over, it works and, and we know how to do it and we feel good at it. Um, but we that's dangerous because we get stuck. Um, And, you know, we're not like, I don't know, like a, like a teenager or a child who's just naturally growing and progressing, you know, our, our brains aren't necessarily growing in the ways they were. <laughs> Which is a good and a bad thing. In, indeed. <laughs> so we, so we really adult development, our yeah. professional development growth looks very different yeah, and it doesn't just happen to us. It can, but it's more meaningful if we are acting upon our own desires, setting our own goals and, you know, taking the initiative to do that. And I think that's one of the things, you know, in the, the work that I've been doing uh, through, through all of this, through so many years, through so many different companies and certificates, and you've been a part of a lot of that. And, you know, one of the things that I find is I think 
that is really difficult when it comes to professional learning with educators is that you're trying to teach and understand pedagogical approaches, which is the approaches that are needed for adolescents to learn, for children to learn, versus the idea of what are the approaches adult learners need, right? Andragogy, this idea of adult learners learn different because our, our brains are in a different a different place. We have different experiences. We have life experiences that we bring with us to our learning that have to be considered. And I think it's really hard with educators because you need to be able to say, okay, here's how you learn as an adult, but don't do this with kids because this won't work with kids. You got to do pedagogical approaches with kids. But if I taught you like I would teach third graders, you're going to get very frustrated with me very quickly. And I think we've probably all been in those trainings where you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. I've done this before. And that's what I think professional, professional learning with teachers, you've got to walk this line of like, here's what you need, because this is what you need as an adult. This is what research says. This is how the adult brain works. But I need you to be thinking about this in a pedagogical sense of how you, you play with it. There's no other, I can't find another discipline that you worry about that. Like, if I'm training organizations like at the Goodwill or a nonprofit or over at Google, we just focus on, on you as a learner, as an adult. I don't want to worry about you applying that to younger children because you don't, you don't have to. And it puts professional development, whether, whether that's you as a curriculum coordinator that is trying to figure out what do I do for my school, my organization, my educators, or for somebody like myself who provides professional learning experiences for teachers to walk this really frustrating line and you get it in feedback all the time of this was too pedag. I mean, teachers don't usually say it this way, but this was boring because it was all focused on pedagogy. And I didn't get my, I, my experiences weren't taken into value, or I get the other thing of this was great for me, but I don't know how to apply it to kids. And there's this, this interesting kind of, it's really tough to walk that line as, as a curriculum coordinator and what you saw through the, the pandemic in your role, what are some of the, what are some ways that you, you kind of navigate that or that you had success with, with teachers? Yeah. Um, it, it's so important, right? Because it's, it's very easy and maybe natural to want to get up in front and yeah share all kinds of amazing things that you know how to do, that you've learned how to do. But that isn't necessarily taking into consideration the, the lived experience of, you know, the PE teacher, the right. elementary teacher. So, you know, the large-scale professional development, it, it has its place in a sense of kind of just like quick snippets to kind of remind people of the page that we're mm. on to, you know, have consistent messaging. Right. The However, focus that maybe the focus we have as an organization. Exactly. However, I, I would say even pre-pandemic, um, we were we were recognizing and you know different people who come in and out of international schools bring a lot of different ideas, um, which can be really innovative and very helpful in moving thinking and practice forward. And, you know, we started moving more towards, you know, experimenting with ed camps on professional mm -hmm. learning days, teachers teaching teachers, um, professional learning communities, and, and recognizing that that was really resonating with mm -hmm. educators. They love to hear what the teacher next door has to say or what they're doing because 
it's that direct application. If it's working next door, clearly it's chances are it's going to work for me too. Same kids, Um, same environment. If it's working for those kids, it'll work for these kids. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not this person sitting in an office on the other side of the campus, you know, try, I mean, you know, I could tell them the same things, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean as much as it does coming from, you know, a colleague. So we were already headed in that direction and we were actually really quite to our surprise, um, prepared mm-hmm. to go remote. Um, we'd actually done a couple of simulations a few months prior based on some scuffles, potential scuffles in the Middle East. Okay. Um, but the timing worked well with yeah. the onset of COVID. So we really had to rethink how we were getting to teachers, especially because while, you know, everybody had kind of at least kind of this foundational knowledge of how to get into the platforms, how to actually use them and leverage them to enhance learning. That was a, that was a whole nother level. Heavy lift. And, and how do we get to people? We, we weren't in our classrooms, we couldn't gather together. And so um, I really leaned heavily into my instructional coaching team uh, to do a lot of reaching out virtually to individual teachers, to grade level teams, to departments, kind of giving them um, specific groups that they were responsible for checking in with, for um, upskilling making sure that you know what we were upskilling teachers on like that we were all consistently as consistently as possible kind of delivering that and making sure that we were getting everyone up to the same level um just kind of that basic we found that um that, that's where we really came to appreciate the difference between synchronous and asynchronous learning. Okay. Um, and we really leveraged the asynchronous piece for some of the professional learning that we offered. And we created a collection of playlists of mm. professional learning playlists. Like on YouTube, like YouTube playlists? Not even. Um, it was a little, they were more, they were more static, okay. but we used, we were, we were Microsoft school. So we were using okay. OneNote okay. and we had different tabs um, based on oh, different very cool. topics. And then within each tab, we, we would have, it was just, it was kind of a, it was a word document template yeah. and it's, it's really based on, um, the Jennifer Gonzalez, uh, one of her blog posts on the cult of pedagogy. Right. Um, and, and so it's kind of a, a flat document with links to maybe a YouTube video, maybe a video made by, um, an instructional coach, um, you know, just it had kind of a format of, you know, read this, watch this, try this, what's next, kind of um, something like that. That wasn't exactly the, the formula. Yeah. Um, and teachers could access that anytime, anywhere. And, mm. you know, that was really helpful. And we actually found that unprompted, teams were going through those playlists together, sharing the learning um, 
And, and so that was a really, it, it seemed really simple and basic when we were putting it together, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't need to have a lot of bells and whistles True. because it's immediately applicable. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as, as the user, you can kind of, again, it's choice. Yeah. I can decide what I want to do. I don't have to do it in the order that it's laid out on the page. Right. Um, I can, I can skip over this. Oh, the, the playlist in this section is recommending one of these three things. I'd rather read about it or look at an infographic than watch a video. Right. Right. So the choice is huge. The the choice is, is really, really important. And I think the flexibility that anytime, anywhere of asynchronous is really nice. Now that said on the flip side of asynchronous, not the flip side, but maybe one of the detractors of asynchronous is we like to connect. And I think, you know, some of us who are introverts really learned that during um, remote learning and lockdowns that, oh, that's right. I I actually guess I do enjoy connecting with people and I actually need that. So then trying to, to find a balance for, you know, how do you, how do you check in? um, You know, how do you build in those, um, connecting opportunities. And sometimes it's, you know, a, a, a discussion board actually mm-hmm. is enough of a connection to just kind of share some thoughts and yeah. hold off of each other. But, you know, sometimes we need to hop on a zoom call and, you know, really kind of work through something together. Um, well, I think there's some power too. like one of the things you mentioned, and I, I want to come back to that is that you said you would have teams go through an asynchronous learning together And I think that is where you get the power of both, right? Like it's this asynchronous. So my time is valued in that I get to choose, like I have to do it, like, or I need to do it, right? There's a need to know, but I'm going to go through this experience with others who I trust my, whether it's my, my team of third grade teachers or my high school department, you know, but there's a bunch of us that are going to go through it together. So there's this connection around this idea of, we're all going through this together. We're kind of moving at our own pace. Like we've kind of be somewhere because at some point to your, to what you were saying is we know we need that connection. There's got to be a point in time where the team comes back and says, what do you think about this? Or I read this article, you watched the YouTube video, you looked at a, you listened to a podcast and you looked at an infographic. How do we bring those different experiences back together and have a conversation of like, oh, we're hearing the same thing or we're seeing the different, how does this apply to our kids? And that's that connection piece. You know, I, I just, I did a, uh, it's still, you can buy it for 25 bucks on our website. It's a lunchtime learning series that I did around the changing nature of professional development. And one of the things that we're seeing is exactly what you're talking about. If we're going to set up asynchronous learning for teachers, Number one, to what your experience was, I think it's going to be here for a long time. I think it does a lot for teachers, but it only works if there's that connection piece at the end, whether that's your team getting together, or even like you said, sometimes it's just a Padlet or a shared OneNote, like whatever your platform is, how at the end of that learning do people have the ability to connect? That is the only way asynchronous works. If asynchronous is just me going off and learning by myself and I never get a chance to talk with others, that's a big part of adult learning. Adult learning, when we talk about andragogy, and I just pulled it up here when when you were talking to remind myself, right? There are uh, six things that are the principles of adult learning. One is 
you have to take into consideration the experience of the learner. There has to be a readiness to learn. And one of the things I love about asynchronous, there's a, a, a readiness to learn, right? Like I need to learn something that leads to motivation to learn and a need to know, right? Those are four of the six. And so you bring these things together because the asynchronous is sitting there. It's like, it's already been created. When you and your team are ready, here it is. Now let's, let's, let's dig in when you're ready to learn and you see a, a need for it. It's sitting there for you. And that is starting to bring the onus of this idea of making a switch from professional development to professional learning. The onus is on me. It's sitting there. It's waiting for me and my team. If I'm a team leader, maybe we have to have a conversation or as we're going to get talking about here, the power of instructional coaching in schools and how they play into this role as well, where that can be. I just, I, you know, asynchronous came out because of the pandemic, but I think it really is going to be a lot of what we see moving forward in the future and in schools like, like you were doing, like, how are you setting those up? And, you know, they don't have to be massive, like using one note, you know, a very skeleton, like bells and whistles sometimes get in the way of just the good stuff. Because in the end, it isn't about the technology. It's about the learning. Yes. And, and to the points that you're making, right. We also know from, from way back that learning is social. And we have to interact when we're interacting, when we're talking, when we're having dialogue, we are developing a deeper understanding of what, what we've read, what we've seen. Um, We're, we're making sense of the content. Um, We're, we're listening, we're reflecting, we're hearing other ways that, that others have interpreted it and how they've applied it. And, you know, it's, you know, learning, learning is community, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Cause yeah, it's so um, true. but you also mentioned, you know, the theory of andragogy, right. And another one of those important principles is, I mean, I often refer to it as like in job embedded learning yeah. it needs. And that is where, you know, again, thinking of the playlist, right. Our teachers needed to they didn't always, they didn't need to know all of the tools, but actually to know how to use Nearpod was very beneficial and they yeah. could immediately apply it and they were using it in, in their work every day. And so again, it just, that, that learning is more relevant yep. to what they're doing and they're able to, um, it just has immediate application. Yeah, there's your instant application of what you're learning, which adult learners need. Adult learners are really bad at learning something today to do something six weeks from now. Not that any learner is good at that, especially in the world we find ourselves in, right? I mean, I've harped on this so much that people are sick and tired of it. But the major change that we're seeing, right, the shift that we're seeing is moving the entire educational system from a just-in-case learning model to a just-in-time. But adult learners need just-in-time, but so do kids nowadays. Absolutely. This inst- we do have instant access. So and when we talk about just-in-time, it's not just-in-time to the info. It's just-in-time to learn it and then have the time to apply it, to be able to say, oh, here's this cool new tool called Nearpod. Oh, this is kind of cool. I can use this tomorrow in math. I can use this tomorrow in one little way give it a little experience, be like, oh, that was kind of cool. And then you start to build on top of that experience you have. And you're right. That is a huge thing when it comes to adult learners. It can't be like, oh, and this is why I, I, I don't think summer professional learning 
works for a lot of teachers. I can't learn something in June when I just finished the school year that you want me to apply in September. There's way too much time between learning and application versus like those first couple of days right before school starts. Like, okay, I can set up the school year in a new structure, new communities, whatever it happens to be. The timing of professional learning, the timing of when we offer these as an organization matters. And I don't know if we always take that into consideration. Absolutely. And, you know, the importance of building the time in to the yes. work day, um, that, that was something that I really prioritized with my instructional coach coaching team. Um, every other week we had, you know, a, a book, a book, disc, we, we read, well, it was, it, it was a, based on a conversation protocol. So sometimes we were reading the same thing, but other times we were each reading our own, whatever interested us. And then mm. we were still able to bring that learning to the table and, and discuss it and share it with the team and learn little snippets from each other here and there. Um, and I, you know, I, part of me feels like, oh, that was such a luxury to be able to do that, but it shouldn't be a luxury. Yeah, Time should be built into the work day for learning. Um, and I, you know, I would often tell my coaches, be sure that you're blocking off an hour of your time to, to learn and grow and hone your skills because no, no one's get, no one else is going to make sure that that happens. That happens you, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, instructional coaching mm-hmm. and how did, what was kind of the role they filled in your school and how important do you see instructional coaching moving forward in education? So in, um, in my context, they were K-12 instructional coaches. Some of them, you know, kind of came on board as literacy coaches or tech coaches, but I was uh, pretty adamant that they were K-12 instructional coaches with some specialty areas. So they were able to kind of to send the message that they could coach anyone on, on anything. Okay. Content, you know, sure. chemistry and physics, eh, maybe not, but, um, but the, the actual act of teaching the mm. strategies and that sort of thing, it, it really, it, it matters not. Um, so they, there was a lot of, um, you know, one-on-one coaching that that's a, I don't know. Teachers don't always understand what that is. Right. So it's a lot of education about what does a coach do? What does a coaching conversation look like? What's a coaching Um, cycle? (laughs) Right. Exactly. And, you know, I think coaches came on board and that was really the work they wanted to do. Mm. I actually think they had more success when they went in and coached teams Mm. Um, and they supported, you know, the grade four team, you know, with aspects of, of literacy or integrating math into their dis- transdisciplinary units and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, and I, again, I just, I think a one-on-one coaching that learning is social. So we're having that in, in that interaction, the dialogue, but I do think there is some, I don't think, I mean, the research tells us, right. There's, there's power in that, um, small group coaching and, yeah. and coaching a team. Um, I do, 
I'm, I'm a diehard coaching fan. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely see going forward that it is, I don't know if the next big thing, it's been a thing, right? But I think as, as more of us are entering kind of this international global realm of providing and modeling what coaching is and what it can be, um, I just can't imagine that the educators could possibly say no to it because yeah. it's, it's tell me what you want to learn. What is your goal, yeah. right? What's the next thing you're, you're trying to do. Right. And, and again, it's that, that thought partner, that learning partner that, you know, maybe, maybe that's what, maybe that's what's missing when it comes to being a lifelong learner is you need a partner, on yeah. that journey, right? It isn't, yeah, some of us can do it alone, but again, you still need to process all of the, what you're learning, um, you know, get some other ideas. Um, so I just, I think that thought partner uh, is so important um, to have in that process. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, to your point, there's a couple of things that I loved when I was a coach. I love the K-12 approach because I feel like being a coach, I was one of the only people in the school that got to see the full spectrum of what kids learn at every grade level. And it, it was so, I found it so empowering that, you know, one, one hour I'm working with a kindergarten teacher yes. and the next hour I'm working with a 11th grade teacher mm-hmm. and, and they don't always see like when you're a teacher, right? You're kind of in your grade level, you know, your content, your grade level, your curriculum, and you know that it connects, like we all know it connects. But I think as a coach, you bring a really unique, especially if you're a K-12, you bring this unique idea that you're like, oh my gosh, I see, you can see where in third grade, this is where you end up in 10th grade. And so when I'm working with a third grade teacher, I can also be, I'm pulling on those experiences like, ah, these kids really need to know this because I was just working with the ninth grade teacher and the kids, trust me, really need to know this piece. So this is where it's really important, right? And so you just have this, you have this experience that I think very few people see. Yeah. And, and it, yes. And, you know, those were some of the, the best days, right. Is when, because one of the, one of our practices as a coach with the coaching team was to go out on learning walks and, you know, purposefully timing didn't always work, but we would intentionally um, work, you know, go to an elementary, a middle and a high school class. And it was so cool those days when, you know, you're, you can see like, okay, there might've been a big jump between that second grade and fifth grade, but you can see where the seeds were being planted in second grade. And you're, you're watching, you're seeing evidence of the growth and the process that, that the students in your context are going through. And I, I can't imagine ever working in a school setting again, where I, didn't have that K-12 opportunity yeah. because it is, it is so valuable and it really provides insights to, you know, classroom teachers, but to divisional administrators as well to, you know, better understand and appreciate that the work they're doing, you know, has impact all the way up through the continuum. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the value of framing conversations. Mm-hmm. I know it's 
It's this interesting thing because as adults, we don't always, I think, appreciate the value of framing a conversation. Um, before we start recording, you were talking about how much you love all the protocols that we're constantly releasing. Uh, big shout out to Trisha Friedman who makes all those for us. We've got over, there's over 60 free PDFs and all of them have some kind of framing of conversations, conversation starters. Um, we're really big into the idea, like you were talking about choice. So here are three, three different frames. Your goal is to pick one of those three that works great with adult learners. It works great with kids too, right? You empower a learner. When you say here are three ways, you just choose one. I'm giving you some ownership in that learning as well. So make sure you head over to shiftingschools.com, uh, click on the, the resource library there and, and make sure you have some of those conversation frames. But for you, what is the value in those? How have you seen those work and, and why do you believe in them so much? Mm. Wow, it's a this is a constant evolution that I absolutely love my the protocol work and and the use of protocols. So I I came to know about conversation protocols through um well, it was actually at a NISA conference uh, in <laughs> Bangkok. Um, I did a critical friends group training, and critical friends groups are a specific type of professional learning community. And within the within a critical friends group, you use protocols, structured conversations to um, examine and tune the work that you're doing, a piece of work that you're doing to um, work through and and kind of get advice from your colleagues on professional dilemmas or wonderings. Um, there are protocols for um, framing, you know, book book discussions and conversations. So I, they, they really provide guardrails and guidance for a conversation. Um, you know, if I, if I walking by you in the hallway and I say back back when we were in classrooms and hallways. Yep. Um, Jeff, here's a piece of work here. Here's this document that I've been working on and I'd really love your feedback on it. What do you think? Well, we're, it's kind of quick. You're looking at, you're like, yeah, that looks great. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I feel good because, yeah. you know, you gave me a, a, a star. Go get them. <laughs> that's right. But at the same time, I, 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 that really wasn't, feedback, right? right? The feedback that, that I might have needed. So within the context of a protocol, um, or even just using pieces of a protocol, right? Um, you know, Jeff, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really needing some advice on, you know, the design and, you know, am I, is this really meeting the outcome that I've, that I'm looking to achieve, right? Even just, just by reframing that, can you give me some feedback question? Yeah. I'm already focusing you into what I need. Um, and I think that's, you know, as the, as the, as the asker, it's recognizing for yourself, what it, what are you looking for from this conversation? Yeah. Um, and also thinking about, you know, framing a coaching conversation and, and the guardrails that, or when you, when you put a structure to that, and I think, it, it's a turnoff for, for some people, the idea that like, oh, well, this is a scripted conversation. Exactly. Well, actually, no, it's not. Um, and I often use um, a term that I, I learned from you, even though it's used around in many other places, but it's the, 
They are highly structured and loosely organized. So they provide the structure so that you're kind of, you're staying within the parameters, but what happens within those parameters really, really depends on who's sitting around the table, having the conversation. Um, It also, you know, when I think about conversation protocols in the context of CFG work, it also democratizes the conversation. Mm. It ensures that everyone sitting around the table, every voice can be heard. Now, someone may choose to pass and not say something, but they've been given an opportunity, right? They've been included, they've been invited into the conversation. And it isn't about that one person who wants to, um, who may derail the conversation, um, who may monopolize the conversation, um, and and it's productive, right? There, there's there's an outcome at the Absolutely. end of this tuning protocol. I'm going to leave with a lot of feedback, yep. maybe more feedback than I could ever use. Maybe some of the feedback I've tried myself, but yep. there's going to be that one nugget yep. that is going to really lead me in a direction that that I'm wanting to go. Um, and that's the same with you know a dilemma analysis protocol. It's there's there are protocols for looking at student work to better understand where a student might be challenged or other kinds of things. Um, yeah, I could talk about protocol work. For- and they're amazing. And I'll make sure in the show notes, we'll link to where you can find all of these protocols. Yeah. They're freely out there on the internet. I use them all the time. Yeah. And you just remind me like the, the power of them is especially with teams, like a teams or getting feedback on something is so critical. And we were able, when we were doing all of our trainings um, through the reimagine program here through Washington state, I use them all the time with principals and superintendents at the start of the pandemic, we had superintendents across the state who were like, we had like, I don't know, 400 of them in a training and they're all trying to figure out like, 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 think back to the beginning. Nobody knows yeah. how long this is going to last. Yeah. No, everybody's trying to make it up. And so yeah. we we used different protocols with them. And where you came, you said, okay, here's my district. I'm I'm a big district or a small district. Here's my issue. And then we would use a protocol so that every other superintendent is like, oh, I've done this in the past, or we're we're doing it this way, or we found money here, or we reached out to these community supports. And you you it, it framed a conversation that allowed you to to unravel some and, and get information back. And, it, and to your point, it's structured. And the thing I love about the structure the most is it makes people be quiet. <laughs> it makes <laughs> you listen, like depending on the protocol, but most of the protocols are like, no, nobody talks except yep. that person. And that person talks for three minutes. The timer goes off. You're That's done right. talking. Because you can't possibly know everything. You don't That's need right. all of the details. That's and right. there's always built in think time. Yes. Like take, take two minutes to reflect on, or to jot some ideas down before you go out into the breakout room and have this conversation before we start our rounds of feedback, take a couple of minutes. You know, you've already looked at the document, you've made some notes, you know, what, what's some feedback that you're going to provide. And, you know, a lot of, again, when we think about the different types of learners that we are as adults or students in classrooms, 
Some of us need a little more time to formulate our thoughts. Some of us prefer to write it down so that we sound articulate when we're speaking. Other people, they're ready to go, right? They're ready to just shoot from the hip, but that's not everybody. Yeah. And I just, I think back of how powerful it was. Like I used, when the pandemic started, the state of Washington reached out and said, you know, we'd love you to put these trainings together for teachers and administrators. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, originally they told me they thought they'd have 300 people signed up. And by the end of the weekend, we were sitting at 7,500 and that was the first round of teachers. And all of a sudden I go into like overload. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what these trainings need to be yet. Like we're, I mean, this is early on in the pandemic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what I did is I got my critical friends group, right? I had 10 other educators across the state of Washington who I'd interacted with. And I used a protocol I set up the protocol and I, and it was a problem solving protocol. You probably even remember which one it is. I don't remember all their names, but it was basically, I got them all on a zoom and I said, all right, in five minutes, here's my problem. Here's the pitch. Here's what we're being asked to do, or here's what I'm being asked to do. And then I shut off. I, I even shut off my camera. Yeah, absolutely. That's muted myself. Awesome. So yep. you're not even in the room. Yep. And the 10 of them started talking, using the protocol, giving each other space to talk. And in the matter of an hour, we had outlined all 10 trainings that became the Reimagine program. It was so powerful, just like hearing everybody's voices. And we were talking like, I was talking to kindergarten teachers and uh, high school teachers and retired teachers. And, you know, and everybody was in just the beginning of the pandemic of this is what we need. This is what I'm hearing. Here's where the focuses need to be. And it was, it allowed us to quicker, better, and faster be able to put together something than if I had just tried to sit around doing it on my own. Absolutely. It sounds like maybe you were using the structured charrette protocol, which okay. is a um, brainstorming protocol. Um, so yeah. And it's, and, and you bring up a, another really excellent point when, when we bring in individuals from different backgrounds, different divisions, different experiences, different cultures, the conversation is just going to be so rich and it's going to have such great impact on our thinking and the work that we do. And, and I, my hunch is, is that when you went out and delivered all of this, it really resonated with people because they may not have physically been around that brainstorming table, but someone with their interests was sitting there as well. And, and, that emerged yeah, um, from large school districts, small. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. But, and, and that, that's the power of having a critical friends group. You know, like if you don't have one, find one. And then if, once you have one, use the protocols. And again, we'll link to the protocols. There's, I don't yeah. even know how many are, are there, but to oh, your point, you could basically say, wow. Hey, I wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's a protocol around and there's probably more than one Absolutely. and you can choose which one looks best Absolutely. to you and you download it. They're PDFs. Uh, that you can download off the website and use. So exactly. Yeah. They're just, they're so powerful for learners of all ages. You know, they work with kids. Um, I had one, the one I used with a leadership team was where you had to turn your backs to each other. Yep. That, that's pretty typical in um, the NSRF, the National School Reform Faculty Critical yeah. Friends Group Protocols, is that when you're presenting or bringing your work, you're, you're front facing to the group during your presentation time, but then you turn your chair when you're physically in the room, but when it's virtual, you turn off your mic and your camera. It's almost better virtual because you can literally like almost yes. leave. 
Yes. Yeah. And then you're like the fly on the wall listening to, and at that moment, it's so powerful for that individual because other people are owning this problem or right. owning this, this piece of work that's been kind of weighing on them. And they can just kind of take a break from it and listen to other people own it for five, 10 minutes and just take notes. Right. And, and it's, it's so powerful and it's probably one of the initial pieces that can feel awkward in the work, but it's, it's so important. And, and people, it, it never fails when we debrief the process Um, to a person, to a participant. It's like, that was so nice to just not have to be part of the conversation because they don't have to defend. They don't have to explain. I've already tried that and it didn't work. Right. It's just, you're just taking it all in and ultimately you're going to have the option to do what, to, to act on the feedback in the way that you choose. Yeah. Right. Again, choice. Yeah. It comes down to choice. And I love that. So my, my goal is, is if you are a team leader, uh, if you are a coach and, and you're looking for protocols, like I, I've seen these used at the team level, like a fourth grade team talking about like, hey, we've got this unit coming up. Let's take it through a protocol. Uh, you know, anytime you're getting together with others and you want to try and solve a problem, have a conversation to your point, highly structured, loosely organized. They're just guardrails. They give you, they are time set, which that's Mm -hmm. adults all the time. Don't like to be shut off at two minutes, but there's a reason for it. You got to shut up. I don't want to sit there for 90 minutes. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, they're very highly structured that way. And I think that's what makes them work. So again, we'll make sure they're linked uh, in the show notes. You'll be able to go over and and download those and stuff. But uh, Christina, it's been great catching up with you and hearing about uh, all the stuff that you're doing. If people wanted to reach out to you with all the work that you're doing with curriculum coordinators with coaches you just finished your dissertation or you're working on your dissertation um, I just successfully defended my proposal congratulations so, thank you so I will be now launching into the research piece of it so and what is this what is it on if you don't mind me asking well I am looking at what are let's see <laughs> what are the perceptions of female middle leader leaders in international schools oh, what is their perception of CFG coaches training okay. on their leadership development. Awesome. And CFGs is, is critical friends groups for those yeah, exactly. who don't know the, you know, us and our the lingo, the lingos. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's awesome. Uh, if people want to reach out, what's the best way? I know you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at C Botbill, C B as in boy, O T B as in boy, Y L. That's how the family spells it uh, over the phone and such. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Christina Botbill. Uh, and you know, I still use a Yahoo email address. My <laughs> adult children have assured me that it dates me. <laughs> um, it is Christina Botbill at yahoo.com. <laughs> awesome. Great. Thanks so much. We'll make sure all those links are in the uh, show notes as well. So if you want to reach out uh, to Christina and have further conversations with your organization or uh, talk about how she could set up some of these protocols and, and support you as well. Uh, always happy to do that. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. It's great to catch Thank up. You. It was amazing. What a great conversation. I really appreciate yeah. the opportunity. Gets you excited, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it does. <laughs> Very much so. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need. Thank you.